Hey everybody, just a quick note before we get started here. Obviously, in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, we are recording this from all separate places, which creates some audio difficulties. Um, I think that the audio quality in this podcast is not up to our typical standards, um, so I apologize for that. We're working through some of our issues. I do think that it's not so bad that it's not worth putting out. So um, I hope you enjoy. Hopefully, we'll get our audio fixed um, going in the future, but um, thanks for listening. Welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Kuhn. This week, we're, we're one brother down. The coronavirus did not get him, but he is otherwise occupied. Joined, as always, by my oldest brother, Michael Kuhn. Hello, everyone. We are doing this remote again for, for the longest time, for a while now. We've been doing it in the same room, and coronavirus has separated us. So hopefully the sound quality is halfway decent, um, but I'm excited to be doing it. Nothing we can't fix in post-production, you know? <laughs> so It might, might be a little more work for you, but uh, here we are. What, what else do I have to do? So it's, <laughs> we Exactly. Got, you we, don't have four kids to take care of. Exactly. I I just have two seemingly full-time jobs that are still going on. Um but we're we're healthy, we're happy. I I feel lucky. It feels like we're back in old times where you're in Jacksonville and Mark and I are sitting in in Nashville doing this podcast. So we'll we'll deal with the the audio difficulties, um but we wanted to bring this podcast to you cuz we got a little bit to talk about, but more importantly than that, we're excited about the guest that we have lined up for today. Yeah, so we um, I connected with a good friend, John Ledyard, who um, we met actually for the first time. At, I don't know if you remember this, Matthew. In at the, the lobby, Senior Bowl. At the hotel at the Senior Bowl last year when we made that trip and got to know him and a bunch of the other Draft Network guys at the time. And that led to me actually doing some work with those guys um, throughout draft season last year. And so I've stayed in touch with John throughout that since then um and he is now working for pewter report um and gonna be a bucks beat writer and is covering the draft very extensively um there from his new role at pewter report so we'll kick it to our conversation with john all right john so before we get into anything draft related i gotta know i know how much of a steelers fan you are um gotta get your perspective on the steelers offseason we don't get we talk Browns almost exclusively, but when we get a chance to talk to somebody that's well-versed in the division rivals, I like to pick your brain and get your perspective. How are you feeling? I mean, I think I feel pretty good. I mean, I mean, as good as you can feel in a division or in a conference that has the Ravens and the, and the, um, and the chiefs in it right now. I mean, I think those are, I'm not naive enough to think that Pittsburgh's on their level right now, but you know, some breaks go your way. There's a lot of luck involved when you get to the postseason, and you hope with seven teams that Pittsburgh would be able to get to the postseason. Would have been in the last couple of years if they had taken seven. So I can't see a way that they're worse this year unless they get hit with a rash of injuries. But I mean, yeah, I mean, right now there's not a ton of holes on the roster. But how Ben plays coming back from injury is a, pretty much a total unknown. I mean, there's no way we can really even speculate. All the reports are that you know he says he feels better than he ever felt before, and they've kind of said that all along that the surgery they did could actually make him, you know, better, feel better and, and throw stronger than he did before. So we'll see if that ends up being true when the bullets fly. Um, but other than that, I mean, roster certainly in a position to win position to compete for a division title and uh, maybe for more, if they can get some really good performances out of some of their young guys uh, that seemed to be on the upswing last year. So yeah, I'm feeling, feeling good right now as of uh, where we sit in here at the beginning of April. I mean, who are some of those young guys? Obviously you made a, you made a trade. Um, to bolster the secondary with the dolphins last year. But to me, it feels like most of the core of the Pittsburgh team is aging. Um, yeah. like, is that, is that true or not true? Like, are you looking at it with just rose colored glasses as a Steelers fan? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling good about the Steelers aging and the Browns seemingly like maybe fitting into a window where they could finally overtake the Steelers from a rankings perspective in the division. Oh yeah. It could definitely happen. Even is even as soon as this season long-term, you know, we're talking two, three years from now, especially three years from now, I think, yeah, that's 
valid questions about where the roster is going to be in some key spots right now. I mean, I think the roster is okay. Unless some of the guys start to fall off, you know, but as of, as of right now, defensively, especially they're pretty young at the key spots, you know, Bud Dupree, TJ Watt, Devin Bush, Stephon to it. Um, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick, obviously just trading for him, a young gun. Terrell Edmonds is not great, but you know, serviceable as your what eighth best guy on ninth best guy on defense or something like that. You can live with him. Um, Steven Nelson played awesome last year coming over from Kansas city. Now Mike Hill and all those guys I just named are under 30. You've got Hayden and Hayward is kind of the old heads of the group on defense, but Hayward is as elite. I mean, he was after oh, Aaron Donald, he was probably second best D tackle in the league again last year. So not really yet in a position to worry about him too much. Hayden played well as well last year. That that is going to come eventually where he's going to fall off a little bit, but it is the deepest Steelers cornerback group we've had in a very long time uh, with Steven Nelson starting Mike Hilton being able to play in the slot. And then Cameron Sutton was honestly, when he was on the field last year, which wasn't as much as the other guys, but he was maybe their best corner I and mean, he was outstanding. So um, we will see if Hayden falls off and if, that time to replace him ever comes. But as of last year, looked fine. Offensively, everybody talks about the offensive line aging. And, and there's definitely some truth to that because DeCastro Pouncey now with Snooski and Villanueva are all over 30, but Villanueva oh, yeah. doesn't, he's like a weird 30 because he didn't really play until he was like 26 <laughs> or 27. So I, right. I don't know really how to gauge him. You know, he's a solid tackle. I, I don't know that you're going to see him ever be great. And I don't think if you're ever going to see him be horrible, um, you know, I uh, love watching miles Garrett play against Villanueva. I will say yeah, that. that's like his hardest matchup of the season. Every time he plays miles, I mean, miles Garrett's hardest matchup for a lot of people, but, um, yeah, it's, that's like his toughest matchup every year is probably cause there's so many different things in, in the, in the bucket for Garrett. I mean, he can just beat you in so many different ways, but yeah, I mean, across the board, the receiving group is young and I think that's where the most of the excitement lies. Juju having a bounce back year after trying to play injured all year last year. I mean, he was hobbling around at the end of the season, trying to be out on the field. It was just ridiculous. And Deontay Johnson is really exciting. So there's definitely some excitement about the skill guys, but yeah, the offensive line, if they fall off, then yeah, things could get ugly because Ben certainly doesn't move like he used to. So like I said, I think it's a team that competes for the division title. I don't think they're better than Baltimore right now. I don't think they're better than the chiefs right now. The rest of the AFC, I don't know. We'll see how some things play out. Um, you know, the Browns certainly have the talent to be up there. The bills, if they can get the quarterback play, have the talent to be up there. Can the Colts get that level of play out of river? So there's, I think everybody else in the AFC has some level of question other than the chiefs and the Ravens. So everybody's starting the season behind those guys. All right. So it sounds like you definitely have the Ravens as the front runner for the AFC North next year. Where do you see it shaking out beyond that? I mean, I, I, I would last year, I really felt like Cleveland had a real great shot at it. And every time I do this, I, they just let me down. So, and I really, I've always kind of, you know, Oh, we're I, familiar I, with this situation. Right. Very familiar. You understand. And so I'm, I'm kind of hesitant, but I feel like then once I, once I don't give them any credit, that's when they'll finally, you know, play well. And, you know, to the chagrin of maybe the Steelers this year. So I, I, I would still say the Steelers second right now, if I'm being realistic uh, and the Browns third, but I really feel like that spot is, is kind of up in the air. I, I don't see any way the Bengals are even as much as I love Joe Burrow. He would have to be Superman as a rookie to get that team to, to be on track. I think next year. So um, we'll see how things develop there, but uh, yeah, I think they're still second, but like I said, one or two key injuries. And I mean, talking about maybe a different scope of the season. And so there's a lot to be decided still. John, is there any chance that the Bengals don't draft Joe Burrow? Number one. Ah, oh, man, I really wish there was not only because, you know, I think we both, well, all three of us would say we, we wish that there was because <laughs> we'd rather not have to play Joe Burrow, but I just don't think there's any way. No, I, I mean, I think they, they're locked on that. And, it, and it's a shame in a lot of ways because I mean, Joe Burrow is an unbelievable talent. I mean, watching him this past season, I just, I mean, blows my mind going back and watching LSU games. And so I would just, I just wish that was on a franchise that prioritized winning more than the Bengals have over the years, just because as a football guy, I just want to see him succeed and, and be the best that he can possibly be and get a team that'll make moves around him. And, and they did make some moves this offseason in free agency. It's hard for me to believe they're going to turn over a new leaf completely, but um, just wish there was a better franchise in place for him to go to even Miami with, with how I feel about Flores would be a a little bit more exciting of a direction right now, but I think it's going to be Cincinnati and bro. Yeah. 
Um, there's nothing to tell us otherwise. Um, all right, that's a good segue. To, let's talk about the draft. That's it. That's your wheelhouse. Um, the Browns have a few pretty significant holes still to fill. One of the biggest ones is this is at safety. And you wrote this article within the last week that you have up on the pewter report where you're working now. And I loved the way that you laid this thing out. And I shared it with everyone that follows us on Twitter. Um, if not, I'll probably share it again whenever we post this episode. Um, but you basically took a look at your top 15 um, detail on each. But what I loved is how you broke down the skill set of each one. Um, on the top end and basically said, is this a free safety or a guy playing the box or a guy that can cover folks and basically be a slot player, which is so helpful because when you talk about the safety position, there's so many different skill sets. Like, you know, some people have Isaiah Simmons as a safety because that's mm. kind of what he played at Clemson, you know, like, but that guy's not going to be playing safety most likely um, in the NFL. So these guys' skill sets is so different. And quite honestly, <laughs> the Browns probably need somebody that can play all of those positions. <laughs> they, they could use, they could, they could use somebody to help in the slot. They could use somebody at free safety and they could use somebody as strong. Like for next year, we've got a few guys on, you know, on short-term deals. We signed mm-hmm. some free agents that I think are going to shore things up, but they're on one year deals. I mean, we've got Carl Joseph, we've got Carl's mm-hmm. or Sandejo, Andrew Sandejo. Um, mm-hmm. And then as far as the slot, if you look at our roster right now, um, if they rolled out right now, Kevin Johnson probably goes in and is playing most of the slot snaps, which has not been, he's been fairly successful in the limited time he's played in the slot in his career. Uh, but that guy hasn't stayed particularly healthy and has been more of a outside corner, um, through his career. So, I mean, we can kind of use help in all these different areas and not to mention, um, like, a, a bigger type safety that could maybe play like a linebacker type tight end cover role would be very useful for us. We have like very little depth at linebacker. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, all of these guys are of interest to me in some way, shape or form. And so I'd love to spend a good portion of time, like digging through um, your analysis on these guys going kind of from 15 down to one. I'd love to know how you, how you would tier them. If you, if you will, like kind of starting from the back, like who's in that, that back tier, like of later round guys. And, um, do you see any that are, uh, would it be particular interest for the Browns maybe? Yeah, there's some trickiness to, to looking at this safety group, really all safety groups, but especially as we look at this one and we talk about the Browns needs and interests and kind of how it all lays out. I mean, the reality is that this safety group, even as I rank them, has a ton of different roles within it, like you like you talked about. So it's almost unfair to rank them all to to rank them all together because they're just so different players. Like Terrell Burgess and Kayvon Wallace are both in my top four safeties. Uh, Burgess third and and Wallace fourth, but they really probably won't play safety in the NFL. And really, especially Wallace played mostly in the slot, and Burgess played in the slot and 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 two high coverages, but. I really just kind of expect both of them to be slots at the next level. So maybe they should be ranked with corners. I don't know, but yes, both of them fit the Browns. Both of them would help the Browns significantly. Um, probably and, okay. starts for them too. You're, you're talking about both those guys came Wallace at Clemson and Terrell Burgess at Utah, both play in the slot. You have them both in your top four, like you just mentioned, and you have second round grades on them. So the way you do, you do that is like, you think they're worth a second rounder, but where do you expect both of those guys to be drafted? Because I have not seen either one of them mocked anywhere in the second round in most of the stuff that I've seen. I think they've got a shot to go by the end of the second round, but I think more than likely you're talking about the third round for both of them. Maybe Uh, I think they're going to give more value probably than wherever they're drafted. Um, Teams really haven't totally gotten the fact that that nickel spot can be, I some have and that spot can be really valuable. Um, but also I think the versatility that both guys offer, you know, is something that's unique too, because injury happens or you need some, you know, you have a surplus of corners. You can kick a guy back to safety and not have an issue in that role. Plus the other really big thing about for both of them, I think is that both are terrific tacklers. So you're definitely getting an impact special teamer out of both of them um, right out of the gate. And not just that, but that will add to the value that they then bring to the roster. Um, and so, yeah, I, th- I don't know where those guys, you know, they could probably get drafted sometime in the third round. It wouldn't to- be totally shocking to see Wallace there in the fourth round, I think, based on what we know right now, at least. But I do think that 
given kind of the uh, way that they tested their size and the fact that those coverage positions in general are growing in value in the NFL. My guess would be that both guys probably would be off the board at least by the end of the third round. It seems like we've got a lot of safeties kind of in that in that late second, third round, fourth round mix in this draft, which is is good for the Browns. One of the guys who's really intriguing, and he's got to be impossible to kind of project to the next level, is Kyle Duggar out of one of the smallest schools you'll ever find, Lenore Ryan in Hickory, North Carolina. Um, what can you tell us about Kyle Duggar and some of the challenges in like doing a, a tape study on him when he's coming out of such a small school? Yeah, he was difficult in a lot of ways. Not only is he a small school and the level of competition is just not noteworthy whatsoever, but uh, the fact that when they put him in man coverage in the slot, he was consistently really bad at it was kind of concerning because of the, <laughs> because again, of the level of competition that he's playing. It's like, man, like, I, I don't know whether we can say that he's actually bad or whether he just has no clue technically what he's doing. And so that was the difficult part with Kyle Duggar is, how much latitude do I give him to make mistakes? Cause at that level, typically you're talking about a guy who, who they really got to dominate. They really can't, they can't blow many coverages. They can't make many mistakes in man coverage. They can't show that they're overly sloppy. There can certainly be some technical things to clean up, but you want guys that are going to really, you know, dominate when they're out there on the field, you want them to be able to notice them on a consistent basis. And, you know, Duggar, if he hadn't tested literally in like the 99th percentile, like everything, you know, his tape certainly doesn't indicate a player that's that, you know, his tape, as I wrote in the article says day three, he doesn't, doesn't seem like a guy who's worthy of a top 100 selection just by watching him on tape because of the issues in coverage. I mean, he's playing free safety for them. A lot of times single high, and he is teeing off on the first thing that he sees at the line of scrimmage. Got to be the easiest dude in the country to get out of his assignment. I mean, just any play action and teams took advantage of it. They literally could not hit passes or they could not complete passes to wide open zones that he left open. So his stats look fine, but you know, yeah, he, he definitely has some issues that uh, if you're playing him deep, that are going to be really concerning. Um, and if you're playing him in man, there's talent there that, but it just needs so much development. I honestly think he might be a linebacker. He is really this kind of exactly the, the type of guy that you guys were referring to a little bit earlier in the show that you would just want as like a depth linebacker box safety. Um, maybe you could situationally, you can do certain things with them. You get his technique on point. He can match up with tight ends where you value that. I don't know. It probably depends on, you know, all the different coverage schemes that you'd like to run and, and things like that. But he's not going to be playing deep for a team unless he just, unless Lenore Ryan was just like, we don't care if you blow assignments, just tee off. And that was the problem. But cause he did play okay at the senior bowl. So maybe there's, a little bit more of a coaching influence than, than I'm aware of, but based on what you can see on tape, he's just not assignment sound or, or technically sound enough to play a great role in coverage right away. So I think it's going to be very much a developmental thing for him, but he is so violent, so physical and so explosive that you just can't take him out of the top 100. You just feel like he's got to figure it out somewhere because you want guys that can, that just don't hesitate at all. And that's what that's him. Those guys always have more of a chance than guys who play it a little bit safer. And so because of that, I just felt like he's worth taking a chance on, even if I have no clue what to do with him right now. And if he plays like that, he has, he had any major injury history. That Not that know? I'm aware of. No, uh, yeah. I don't really can like if a guy gets hurt, it doesn't really play a huge role because I'm just kind of, I don't know how often they'll get hurt again or, you know, anything like that, but not that I'm aware of no. Yeah. And then Jeremy Chin kind of gets thrown in, in the same bucket with Kyle Duggar, right? Like, aren't, can you like compare and contrast those two guys? You kind of gave us a good in-depth analysis on Duggar. How does Jeremy Chin compare? You have him slightly above Duggar. You have his number eight in your rankings is with a third round grade chin at number seven in your rankings. Yeah. So you were talking about tiers a little bit. And I think the tier was, kind of end after Jer a tier would end after Jeremy Chin and maybe begin again with Duggar. So although there's seven, eight on the rankings, there was a fair discrepancy between them on and my evaluations. And actually, if I get more good tape of Jeremy Chin, he could go up. I have plenty of tape of Duggar, believe it or not. I don't have enough good tape of Jeremy Chin. I don't know like anyone who does. So um, I think that's part of the problem with Jeremy Chin is I'm just not willing to go a little bit further. I've seen three, two, two, 2019 games and maybe three 2019 games and one 2018 game. Um, but the problem is when you're talking about a small school guy, FCS guy, you want to see him against absolutely everybody 
that he plays uh, because you just have to get a large sample size. Like he could go whole game and not get targeted in man coverage or them, you know, the one team, one game they were in, like they literally sacked the quarterback like every time he dropped back. So I didn't get to see him do like anything in that game. So it, it's that difficulty in evaluating school guys. You want to see as much tape as possible. So that's part of the problem with Chin. I could definitely see him being a better player than a lot of guys on this list because athletically the differences as I'm comparing and contrast to he and Duggar, the differences between them is that Duggar doesn't try to read anything. He just literally pulls the trigger. He is a bull in a China shop. He's absolutely crazy. Some of his angles are horrible. Nothing about his game is safe at all. But when he hits them, when he drills somebody, like it's just, it's, it's very pure. Chin is kind of, kind of, he is physical and he does play fast, but he is a little bit more nuanced in his movement, not quite as out of control all the time. Um, but he isn't super instinctive either. So you have kind of Duggar who's always pulling the trigger, but really just guessing, not really as instinctive, but he plays so fast and chin. He's, he's to play, probably play a lot faster in coverage, um, but he doesn't blow as many assignments in the tape that I've watched because he's not just teeing off and guessing on everything that he sees. So do both guys have some issues with processing, but they manifest itself in totally different ways so far. Uh, chin is a lot more fluid, um, a lot more patient in man coverage. Um, so there's a clear role for him right away. He can be a big slot defender. I think he could play deep. He doesn't abandon assignments or things like that. Um, with these, he's got to, again, pull the trigger on routes in front of him. I think a little bit more use some of that explosiveness. Um, he doesn't always play to that level, but there are flashes of it. I don't think it's as anything to do with, you know, it, whether he's physical enough or whether he wants it enough or anything like that, because there's plenty of examples of him making plays and pulling the trigger, but it just doesn't happen consistently enough. So I think he's going to have some adjustment to NFL level speed, but he is an unbelievable athlete, unbelievable frame. He's really fluid and explosive. Sometimes you get one or the other, you don't always get both. And so I really, I would bet pretty good on chin being at least a solid starter in the NFL. Uh, he could be a lot more than that. Um, it, also depends how a team uses him because I don't think he's a linebacker, but he's six, three, two 21. And so some teams may want to play him in that type of role. And I don't know if that's necessarily best for him. All right. So your rankings are somewhat bold. If someone just looked at the, at the rankings of these safeties, I mean, if you look at the big media draft analysts, they've got pretty consistently Xavier McKinney and Grant Delpit as the top two safety prospects. And you don't, you, those guys come in at five and six for you. Talk about those two. I mean, like McShay, Daniel Jeremiah, those guys have uh, McKinney and Delpit leading off this list and you've got them way down with third round grades. What do you not like about Xavier McKinney and Grant Delpit? Biggest concern with McKinney is that I just don't know that there's like this high ceiling here. I think he's a fine player, a starter. I think he's smart. I think he'll probably help in the locker room, get your guys lined up. Um, but what does he do at a level that really makes you value him? You know, he doesn't, he's not a guy that create makes a lot of plays on the ball or creates a lot of turnovers. He isn't any racer in man coverage. You know, Rod receivers gave him some issues. Most of the time did really well against tight ends. Um, I don't think he's a great high ceiling athlete. He's got kind of a, he's not small in terms of weight necessarily, but he is for, I mean, 201 is a little bit on the small side, maybe for safety, but not terrible, not terribly. So he's not a splash guy. And I don't think he's a lockdown man coverage guy. So what does he do well enough to really value him highly is my biggest concern there. Plus we didn't see athletic testing there. So I'm not still not quite sure how much to trust him. A lot of Alabama defensive backs have gone on to test a lot worse than we think. Uh, and I don't say that as like, Oh, just got him by the helmet. But at the same time, teams recruit and develop these guys similarly year to year. So it's worth paying attention to and wondering about with Delpit. It's a little bit more clear. I mean, he's, he's maybe the worst tackler in any defensive prospect class and the numbers back it up. The tape backs it up. <laughs> the issues are kind of plentiful. Like he'll, I don't think he, I actually don't think he, I don't think it's a physicality issue, which is actually reassuring. Um, he's plenty aggressive. Uh, he just isn't a very good tackler and it's been ye every year of his career really at LSU now. Uh, that's okay. I could live with that if there were great abilities in other areas, but man, so many man coverage reps, he just gets beat um, tight ends, wide receivers. 
I don't think he can step and play over the slot. So you're really limited in how you use Grant Delpit. He can blitz, which is probably true of most safeties. He misses a lot of sacks, which because he can't tackle, but he does create <laughs> a lot of havoc because he throws his body around like crazy. So maybe you can blitz him, um, you know, and I think he can play deep for you. That's what he does. Well, he plays deep. Uh, he won't blow a lot of assignments. Um, he does make good plays on the ball. There are flashes of anticipation and instincts that will make him exciting at times. The biggest drawback for me, if he was this amazing free safety, you know, Earl Thomas level free safety, just in deep coverage, but never did anything else and missed 20 tackles a year. I'd probably still put him in round one, but I just don't think he's an elite athlete. Um, and we didn't get to see the testing from him either. I don't think he's an elite athlete. And so I think the ceiling is probably a little bit limited with Delpit going to be a good starting free safety for a team. I think a quality starting free safety for a team. I don't know if he'll ever be this all pro elite player that I and many others, or I once thought, and many others still think he'll he'll be. Got it. And so, so that those guys come in at five and six, and then your top safety is one that I've seen so many of our fellow Browns fans like be mocking to the Browns in the third round a lot of times in a lot of these online uh, mock draft simulators, and that's Ashton Davis from Cal. Mm-hmm. I love seeing that you like this guy. Everything I've seen is like, I don't know what there is to not like about him, but give us some specifics on Ashton Davis. Like what should Browns fans know about this guy? He didn't play in the sec. So that's why he's not hired for a lot of people. Also he, if he would have been able to test, he's an unbelievable athlete. And I don't know why people need to see, we already know he's, I mean, ran track and field there. He's run all, he has all kinds of times out there that are absolutely absurd, but I, I think teams want to, or not, I don't know if teams will, we'll see what teams think, but I think media and fans want to kind of see it done at the combine for whatever reason. And he's a little bit banged up, so he couldn't do that. So that part was frustrating. I hope the health is okay. I, you know, no reason to think it, it's a significant injury with him, but um, you know, to me, when you're talking about the safety position, you just want, you want guys that can cover period. Um, that's the most coveted thing about safeties is can they cover and he can cover in man and at free safety is unbelievable range. And he has ball skills. Some of his, he's turned the ball over consistently at Cal. Some of his interceptions are crazy. You know, a lot of these guys come in with, they have some interception numbers. Then when you watch them, you're like, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that was that great of a play or the quarterback just sucked. And so I think with Davis, the biggest advantage that you have is you have a guy that clearly knows how to play the football, has the athleticism, has the range, has the mentality. Uh, um, uh, know his position coach uh, at Cal, who's now with the Miami Dolphins in the same role, and just raves about how much how hard Davis works, how much he studies tape, football junkie. He plays some cornerback in his background, so he has some of that technique down that some of these other guys don't. Um, yeah, he can cover it, and I just think you know he'll he has to grow a little bit in his mental processing to consistently play fast. But he's grown every year he's been at Cal, so not nearly as big of a concern to me. The the two things that probably worry me. In, in terms of Ashton Davis are he's a little bit older of a prospect. I think he'll end up being 24, I think maybe halfway through his rookie season or something uh, because he walked mm-hmm. on at Cal to do track and field, earned a scholarship at Cal to do track and field, turned down the scholarship to try to walk on and earn another scholarship at in football. So his parents are shouting out this money and they're agreeing to do this all this whole time. And he's trying to earn multiple walk on scholarships, which he did obviously. Um, so incredible story in that regard, but because of that, he spent so much time in college. Um, so he's got a little bit of the van Wilder thing going on, but at the same time, I just think that when you're talking <laughs> about talent and coverage ability, he's the best in the class and physicality is not a concern either. Uh, and football IQ is not a concern. So I'll roll the dice on him late round one, early round two, which is where I, th- I've mocked him to the Browns uh, in early round two before, because I think the fit makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, that sounds like it would be a great get. And John, I know we need to let you go here in a minute, but the Browns' first round pick is number 10. And the biggest need outside of safety on the team is offensive tackle. Uh, How do you view these offensive tackles and which ones do you think are going to be available to the Browns at 10 if they pick there? Well, yeah, I know John, you've got to, John, I know you've got, if I can jump in, I know you've got to be looking at them closely. Cause I know the bucks really need one too. And you're writing about the bucks every single day. And so I'm super interested to hear your, your take on this. Um, given that the Browns are going to kind of a wide zone scheme with Stefanski coming in too. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That part matters and makes another, it makes it an interesting part of the evaluation. Jack Conklin coming over 
really, I mean, he's played left tackle certainly in college, but at Tennessee was just a right tackle. So, and Chris Hubbard has played both sides. I know him well from Pittsburgh. He's very limited. And I don't think anyone in Cleveland wants to see him start uh, again. He's a good swing tackle to have great guy in the locker room too. I think everybody on every team he's ever played on absolutely loves him, but I, I don't, but not a guy that you would want ideally start. And so it's about really, I would guess, finding somebody who can play on the left side. Uh, that is only interesting to know because Jedrick Wills has just played on the right side at, at Alabama. I think Jedrick Wills is by far the best tackle in the class. And I think that there's a good chance he's there for Cleveland at number 10. But the problem is I, I just have no idea if Jedrick Wills could move to the left side and play it. I, I don't see any reason why he couldn't. But for some guys, that's a trickier transition than others. And so it's not just an automatic thing. So that's a wrinkle in his evaluation. And I'm sure he's training both sides right now that most, most tackles are. That's an interesting part of his evaluation that I just can't speak to in terms of whether he'd be a fit or not. Um, yeah. Could be he moves to the left side. It's seamless and he's the best tackle in the draft, just like he is right now. Uh, and there's no issue. Could be he has some issue and ends up playing worse than you'd expect. But um, if Wills is there, I'd say, you know, if they feel like he can make the transition, he's the guy, he makes the most sense. I do think the giants are going to either take Isaiah Simmons or Makai Becton. Werfs is definitely in consideration there, I believe too. Um, but I think they'll probably end up choosing between those two, if I had to guess. Um, so it's weird to say at this point, but it's not outside of the question that all the tackles could be there for the Browns. Um, I know we didn't think any of us would say that you know, a while ago, but you have the chargers maybe looking at a pretty good situation where quarterback could fall. Um, I think Arizona is still going to take a tackle though. Arizona, it's a consideration for sure. Some interesting things in Arizona. Not only do they bring back DJ Humphreys, they, and they have Murray there that they kind of feel like they could get by with the right tackle. Maybe they also resigned Marcus Gilbert, which I think people thought maybe he was going to retire and they resigned him and they gave him like three and a half mil or something, which isn't like starter money by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a little bit more than the vet minimum for a guy who's been injured the last two seasons. Gilbert was a top you know, five right tackle in the league, maybe three right tackle in the league when he was healthy. It's just been two or three seasons since that was the case. So I don't think they're counting on him per se, but I also don't know how many of these guys they're going to line up at tackle right now, especially when you consider that in, in Shannon or in uh, Kingsbury's offense, uh, they do a lot of quick passing and they don't quite rely on a lot of pass protection as much as other teams do. And that's kind of always been the case, right? Texas tech's not pouring out offensive linemen every year. So it's an interesting thing to think about. I think you're right. Obviously, you know, when you think about where could a tackle go, if the giants take Isaiah Simmons, uh, you know, Carolina is still a consideration. The Chargers are a consideration, although quarterback's going to be tempting for them because they don't have a future guy in the building at all. Um, the Panthers will consider it, but again, Okun's there now, and they just traded for the draft of Greg Little in the second round last year, and uh, and uh, Taylor Moten starting a right tackle. So I don't see it happening there. Um, you know, at, at eight, Arizona is a consideration for sure, but man, they have maybe the worst interior defensive line in the league, and it's all but a lock. Ken Law and Derek Brown will be sitting right there for him. So in a yep. class that isn't deep at that position, so can something to consider there. And then the Jaguars, they have Cam Robinson and Juwan Taylor you know, Robinson may not, not, not end up coming back after this year, but I, they have so many defensive needs. So that's the scenario, best case scenario that they're sitting there for the Browns. Don't think it's likely one's probably off the board. That's probably either Werfs or Becton Werfs fits certainly an outside zone scheme uh, from his ability to, to athletically, but also coming from a lot of zone heavy looks that Iowa. So he's going to be very comfortable with it and the footwork and stuff like that. He needs to improve technically across the board. Um, you know, but the ceiling is sky high. I mean, he could be one of the best tackles in the league. Um, if he, if he consistently plays with aggression and technique, so he's probably the fit that makes the most sense, but Becton's played both sides and they run plenty of zone. It's inside zone, mostly at Louisville, but he's crazy athletic and a tackle. It's not as big a deal uh, that you're a great athlete and outside zone as it is. I think on the inside, uh, when you have to make sure there's no run through with reaching those three techniques. So I think he can get by um, on the backside of a lot of those runs because he's so athletic. So I would feel pretty comfortable about either of those guys. Thomas has run all of it, but I don't think he's the type of athlete you want uh, playing that role. Plus left tackle. Uh, um, I think he can play right tackle. I think he has some that in his background, but my guess would be that you're going to be talking about a choice between Werfs and Becton. If they don't feel like Wills can make the jump to left tackle. Interesting. Interesting. Lots of the um, Browns fans I see are, are really high on Andrew Thomas. What do you, what about Andrew Thomas makes you question whether he would be a good fit in that scheme? 
I don't think it's that he couldn't do it because Georgia runs everything. And so that's a, another advantage with Thomas is you're getting somebody who mentally probably won't have a hard time making all the transitions, but you know, Stefanski comes from the, the line of coaching that, you know, you want to, when you run outside zone, you run it, you run it like it's fast. Um, uh, that's how they run it. Um, and, and if you don't play it fast, you know, and that was a big problem actually with Kareem hunt, uh, who's a Brown now, obviously when he was in Kansas city, they were starting to run some outside zone there. And I've been told that he just wasn't running out. it was his rookie year. And you, they hit a lull kind of in the middle of that year in his rushing. And he just wasn't running it fast enough. Um, for what they like to do. And, and so they went back to some of the uh, inside inside schemes and that was where he found a little bit more success again toward the end of that season. And so that is kind of emphasized. And I say that because I just not sure Andrew Thomas is going to be ideal in that situation because he is just so tight laterally compared to some of these other guys. Um, Now that isn't to say he couldn't do it. And really at the end of the day, guys, like we're talking about the run scheme, but this is all about pass protection. Like there's a pass protection league. Um, you know, we can talk about in terms of who they'll view as a fit for the position, but the value that he's going to come uh, from, from having Andrew Thomas and for having any of these guys is going to be what they can do in pass protection. So any of them can make it work in the run scheme. And even if they're not great, it's fine. If whoever the best one is in pass protection, that's where the value is really going to come. And that's where I think Thomas would be fourth for me out of these guys. Um, a- admittedly understanding that Mackay Becton didn't, have a lot of true pass sets last year. I'm just projecting his tools at that point. Thomas did, and he faced great competition and at times looked really good, but you could really tell when he faced great athletes that, you know, the speed element is going to be tricky for him. Um, He crosses his legs at the top of the arc a lot of time. I think he's pretty susceptible to get knocked off balance when he does that. So I like him. I think he's a good player. I think he's going to start in the NFL for a long time. I think there's some limitations to him in pass protection that you're going to need to be aware of in certain matchups that he'll probably never, even with development, really be able to to overcome those types of limitations. Got it. Oh my gosh. So much insight from you. I appreciate it. Um, we'll, we'll let you go, but before you leave, would you let the listeners know where they can see some of your work and follow on what's going on um, in your world heading up to the draft in a few weeks? For sure. Yeah. Positional rankings and really mini scouting reports and grades and, and some other thoughts on those players uh, from the draft class. Um, I have those up a Peter report over the next couple of weeks, Monday, my wide receivers, uh, rankings drop. So I'm trying to get through all that tape. Um, and so that'll be, um, that'll be kind of the, the next one in the installment, kind of like the safeties one, uh, that you've been referring to over at PeterReport.com. And then you can always follow me on Twitter for my draft thoughts, offering them basically every day at Ledyard L E D Y A R D NFL draft. Awesome. Thanks my friend. Absolutely guys. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, that was great to have John on. He's got a different perspective than a lot of the draft analysts that, that I read, at least, and I think most people read. Um, you look at his safety rankings. We talked about that in our conversation. And then also, I, I guess this is happening more and more, but you see Andrew Thomas kind of not being the top tackle and maybe not even being a good fit for, for some teams, which I feel like coming in, he was the the franchise left tackle, the safe pick who you can't miss on the Joe Thomas type. And people seem to be moving away from that. Yeah, I don't, it's going to be interesting. There, it's still four top tackles, um, but everybody's ranking is a little bit different. And I am so interested to see how the teams value them and whether Makai Becton gets the same bump that everybody in the media is giving him right now. Um, in actuality, and whether the Tristan Wirfs gets the same um, extra love that he's kind of been receiving um, in mock drafts since um, his workout at the Combine. Um, either way, like, these are four of the best talents we've seen at offensive tackle in a handful of years. And each one of them, individually, um, would rank up at the very top of the class um, in any one of the last five drafts. And so I would feel I'm going to feel great if we get any one of them. Um, and the thing that'll get real interesting, though, is if they the Browns decide that their guy's not there at 10 and they start to look at other options. So that's actually what I'd kind of like to talk to you about a little, little bit is like, how do you see the draft playing out for the Browns? I think everyone has consensus that in the first round, whether we pick a 10 or trade back or whatever we decide to do, they're going to take an offensive tackle the need and the, and the val and what's available in the draft just lines up too perfectly for that to happen. But beyond that, 
we do have a lot of needs and I could see it playing out in so many different ways. Like what is your current thinking on this front? I think the closer we get to the draft, the more likely it seems to me like we're going to trade back. Cause I don't, I don't see a ton of tackles unlike early on in this process where it looked like there might be three offensive tackles taken in the top 10. Um, the more that things progress, the more the quarterbacks, as all, they always do, kind of jump to the top and teams make moves. And now you've got a team like Carolina. I mean, I know they signed Teddy Bridgewater. They, they might be in the market for a quarterback when they, they weren't before. Uh, you've got a team like the Chargers who are always kind of in the mix for a quarterback, but now suddenly they have Tyrod Taylor and nobody else. So they're almost a shoe-in for a quarterback unless, unless they sign, sign Cam. Um, and it's in our front office's nature. If, if there's not a guy who they view as clearly superior at that position, or if, if they like multiple of them, or if the guy that they think is the best is already gone, I could see us moving back four, five, six, seven slots, whatever it is, and waiting to pick that guy. I am hoping what what player though do you think that a team will be looking to move up for that would want to trade trade I, with us? I think it could be one of those interior D linemen. If if one of those two guys is available, I I think that could be interesting for a team. Um maybe a back end quarterback. I mean, if if somebody like Justin Herbert is still available, I don't I don't know who would be be trading up. I haven't looked to see like to pair that with a team, but that feels like the right spot for one a team to trade up to to go get one of those guys if they really liked Herbert in this process. Yeah, I think another likely scenario is the top wide receiver. I think there's a chance that none of the top receivers go in the top ten. And maybe they do and there's only one left or something like that. Maybe Henry Ruggs is still there and the Broncos want to get him. Something like that, I could see the top, uh, a desirable receiver being, being wanted and the Browns being able to benefit from it. And that could be, that could be five different guys at this point. Oh. Like, like, like we say the top receiver, but I, you said Henry Ruggs. Henry Ruggs might be the fourth receiver off the board. Like, it's just crazy how it's going to be a wild draft because you're going to see teams have a disparate opinion. Of, of some of these guys and one team will value a guy really highly that maybe isn't the consensus with the rest of the teams. So I, I think it's going to be fairly volatile because yeah. teams are going to get a little antsy if they see a guy who they value really highly start dropping down the board when they th- thought he would be long in, gone. It requires a lot of faith in our front office and their ability to evaluate the talent. But if you do feel good about their ability to evaluate the talent, I am perfectly on board with a trade back scenario because I just don't see us filling some of the needs that would be so nice for us to fill on this roster. If we can't get some more like top 100, another top 100 pick. And because we go back and then our next pick after the first round right now is pick 41 and we will have a chance at somebody solid, probably between either the safety position or the linebacker spot is probably where you would imagine we would go. But there's a good chance that some top-tier receivers are going to be available. That's a spot I really want us to draft somebody so that we have options to move on from either of our, you know, huge contract-wide receivers next year. Like, I want a receiver in the group, but I don't see how that's going to happen if we're trying to fill holes with, you know, at safety, at linebacker, at the interior of the defensive line. Like we have so many defensive line players that are on the last year or have just signed one year contracts Like we need young players to be able to fill in there over time to give us some flexibility. Like there's all these spots where it would be nice to draft like young, talented players that we could develop. Um, and we just don't have enough picks to do it all. Yeah. I mean, and we don't have a, like we're we're not at a deficit for draft picks. Like we have a normal amount plus an extra third round pick, right? It's just that well, we, we we have seven total right now after all the trades. So we like have a we have a big gap. Like there's no pick in the fifth round at all. So we make our fourth round pick, and then it's like forever and a day until we make like another pick uh, in the sixth round. 
Yeah, and that's fair. I just think we're coming from a place where we're so used to having this just wealth of draft picks. And so so it feels like you're you're in a in a tight spot here. And and I and I agree with you that we've we've got some positions where we haven't hit on guys or we've got young players who we're not optimistic about, a la Chad Thomas, a la Antonio Callaway, who's not even on the team anymore. You know, these guys who would ideally be coming in and and having developed, but I mean, those guys are hit or miss. Uh, It's a John Dorsey pick. They've kind of been misses at this point. And then if we look at Mac Wilson and Sione Takitaki, if either of those guys don't develop, which I feel like it's fairly safe to say one of those guys isn't at least isn't going to make it, then we've got a hole. Huge one. And you can't count on them doing anything. I don't know if you can count on either one of them really being like a plus starter um, on this team. And you, if you fill the safety hole with 41, then you're not going to get a talented, you know, linebacker. And honestly, the linebacker class isn't that great. Kind of like, sucks. If I think we might get lucky and have somebody drop to 41, like I've done a few, you know, there's a chance that like a Patrick Queen or a Kenneth Murray like somehow is still available at 41. But I don't think it's a very good chance at all. And if that doesn't happen, like you're kind of picking from the bottom of the barrel when it comes to the linebacker talent for, for what we need. We don't have a linebacker that I feel, I mean, I guess Mac Wilson, you feel like he can cover, but he can't do anything else very well. And so it, I, I don't know. It's why I was super intrigued by John's safety um, write-up because I wanted it was great to look and see what kind of value was there and what their specific skill sets are later in the draft. Well, we didn't and talk I would about the latter I, portion, but you know, we might take a couple safeties that have very different skill sets. I think. But if his rankings come true, I would love that. I mean, there's there's talented guys that you can get at in the third round where we have two picks which opens up a world of possibilities. And that's, that's even going off his rankings. He has Ashton Davis as his top safety. There's a lot of people who think he's going to go in the third round. So like yeah. you, it, you can look at it either way. We can get Grant Delpit in the third round if we want to. If you like Grant Delpit, there's a lot of people who do, a lot of people who don't. But it just depends on how you view him. And it's going to be interesting to see where these guys fall out because I think there's about eight safeties. <laughs> that could potentially go anywhere from the late first to end of the third round. And we're just not really sure how it all falls out. Yep. Those top eight guys. And he said his, his tier drops off after seven, right? Remember he said, Jeremy. Yeah. Genesis before seven, Kyle Duggar. And then Kyle Duggar is, his eight, is his eighth. Which I want um, no part of Kyle Duggar. That, that scares yeah. the crap out of me. Yeah. That, he seems like the absolute classic boomer bust prospect and i don't want much of that it's a similar reason why i don't know that i want makai beckton either um because i feel like i've seen too many of the high athlete like crazy guys like that um just bust i I, he just has too much of a greg robinson um feel to him to me sure i mean at least he's at least he's played like big time college football i like I've, I feel Craig like Robinson played at Auburn. Well, no, I'm saying as related to Kyle Duggar, like, like I get it that from the oh, athletic it, testing perspective, at, at least you've seen him play against like reasonable people. Yeah. Kyle Duggar. If you've never been to driven past Lenore Ryan in Hickory, North Carolina, that college looks like a high school and like, like a medium sized high school, <laughs> not even a big high school. <laughs> like it is the tiniest little college that you've ever seen in your entire life. It is amazing to me that a guy like that can play there and be ready to get drafted in the NFL. I mean, it's a credit to him. It feels like safety is the one spot where we might be able to get some talent later that's going to be able to contribute, whereas I don't feel like the depth is there at like defensive tackle or linebacker, which are spots that I'd love to see us like take care of in the draft. My daughter's going to bed right now, and this She's, part might need to be taken out of the podcast. 
she's not too happy about it. We'll we'll wait till I can't hear it in the background anymore. I can't hear anything anymore, but it's probably coming back up. Um, Megan's put putting her to bed. Okay, I haven't heard her for a minute. Yeah, as safety was something that I was really concerned about coming into this draft class because I thought we were going to have to have to use our forty, the pick at forty one on a safety. It it felt almost inevitable those first two picks. We need an offensive tackle first, and then the safety second. Where now I feel like there's a little more flexibility with that second round pick, where you're able to fill a different hole or take the best player available. There's even some offensive tackles that. Um, there's part of me that wouldn't be terribly surprised if this offensive tackle class is deep, if we didn't take an offensive tackle in the first round, took somebody else, maybe an interior defensive lineman, maybe a Derek Brown or Javon Kinlaw, if, if, he's, if one of them are there, um, and then we get a, was it Josh Jones from Houston? One of those. He's not going to be there. In the Ezra, second round, Ezra Cleveland um, yeah, has been mentioned there. in the first round too. I feel like in the second round. But how many left might... tackles can go in the first round? Like, I feel like there's... everybody needs tackles though in the NFL. Like tackle is like the most, is one of the poorest positions in the NFL right now across the league. They do. They do. But then there's all these wide receivers. There's probably six wide receivers that deserve to go in the first round that teams are going to fall in love with. There's, at least three quarterbacks that are going to go in the first round. There's, I, I, just, I just feel like if, you've got, if you're six deep at a position, there's a good chance they'll be there at 41. Um, I'm quite confident that there will be six offensive tackles taken in the first round. That's um, got to be a record. And nah, Maybe. But, like, you don't see four guys as good as these top four ever. And then Josh Jones is, is right up there nipping on all those guys' heels. And Ezra Cleveland is just flying up boards. Like, I have no doubt that those six are all going to make it in the first round. And then you're looking at, like, the, um, the guy from USC, Jackson, I think is his yeah, last Austin name. Yeah, Austin Jackson. And, and then Lucas Niang as kind of the next couple guys. And you might be able to get one of them. And I like Niang between the two of those guys um, at 41, but I would not want to roll the dice uh, and hope that one of them's there. That is definitely the way that I feel about it. When you've got that much talent available, you, like, you've got to be able to take one of those guys. Yeah. It's such an important position. Like If it was another position, it would be different. But since it's left tackle, it's just to be able to lock that guy in on a rookie deal like for the next four years is so valuable. Like it just locks that up for us across the whole front line. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'd, I think I'd rather, I'd rather trade back to the mid teens and get one of those guys who's still available than draft a different position, even if it is a, a really good player. And yeah. you, you get the extra draft pick or picks to, to build depth and, and move on from there. Um, draft strategy otherwise I think we just make a lot of moves I mean I think I think in the in the back half of the draft we're going to be moving up and down a whole bunch I mean that's if that's what Sashi did but I'm interested to see how much of um, Sashi Andrew Barry takes with him from a from an actual um, implementation perspective because when you, t- when you heard him talk in his press conferences he talked about like how much his influence, how much he's been influenced by different people, and it's clear that Sashi was a big influence. But it's also clear that he had a huge influence from what's his face and Philadelphia, Howie, Howie Roseman. Roseman. Yeah, and he said he'd be aggressive, and that's what he got from Howie Roseman. And I feel like so many of the signings that we've made, like the one-year deals, like all of that, screams Howie Roseman to me. And so I. I just wonder, and I've seen Howie Roseman move up in drafts a lot. You know, you, you saw him do it last year for the left tackle. And um, so I'm, I'm just interested to see. I don't want to assume what Andrew Barry is going to do because Andrew Barry's his own person in his own gym, and he has worked under these guys. But, like, we don't have a data set to, like, really compare to. Like, we don't really know what he's going to do. 
So um, that's why this is an interesting exercise to think about right now because we just don't know. Yeah, and, and and that's true. I mean, Andrew Barry's never run a draft by himself. He's he's been a part of drafts with um, Sashi Brown at the helm, with um, what's his face John Dorsey at the helm, and with Howie Roseman at the helm. So it'll be interesting to see how what he pulls from each and who he emulates the most. So this is a thought that just came to my mind. The draft this year is being held remotely. So like this is all we have the youngest GM in the NFL. This has to be a benefit to us. It's gotta he, like, gotta be to gotta be a benefit. Although you you could also be hamstrung by other GMs who don't know how to use technology. So you're trying to take advantage of that, but they won't answer the phone because they 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 you just can't get a hold of them. But but I don't I don't know. I wonder if just being comfortable with that is gonna make a difference. But I mean, it, it has it, it, to. It can't hurt us. I can't believe it would hurt us. It's going to be a weird NFL draft. I mean, they're doing it from, or the plan is right now that I've heard, they're doing it from a studio. Um, they'll have, I, I would assume Roger Goodell would be there to announce picks. And then they'll have the like commentary crew, like sitting at a desk, right? I want to yeah. know, are they sitting next to each other? is it a multi-camera situation where everybody's like kind of in their own, in their own frame? Um, it's, it's a challenge I for everybody. I also heard that the NFL is partnering with EA to have CGI walk up to the stage things for some of the players. Oh, that would be terrible. Please don't Which do that. It sounds like it's terrible, but I would, as with anything, if you execute things a particular way, like it can be good. Like maybe if you work with each of the top players to have like customized like things and doing something particularly crazy, it could be like good. Maybe. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm having a hard time. I'm trying to be optimistic. Well, I want to know. So I feel bad for the players, first off, who've worked their freaking tail off to this day and they won't get to be there in person. They also likely won't be having draft parties at their house. Like, Oh yeah. Cause they can't be with other people. Or right? like, I mean, who knows where we're at, at, at on that day in the future here in a couple of weeks. But I mean, the, no, they won't be having draft parties in the typical sense. It'll be actually kind of fun because it'll be with whoever they're quarantining. Yeah. So it'll be like, who are their people? Like, yeah. They're going to they're gonna be in the same frame with, <laughs> well, and, and it's and I mean that's sad on one hand, but entertaining on the other. And then I don't think they're gonna have camera crews in their house either. So it'll be like the like live reaction. Do they just have everybody pulled up on Zoom, like so they and they just like flip to to that cover? Like, do they send them a package of equipment in the mail with instructions on how to set it up and then like get connected later? That I mean maybe we'll see. It'll it'll it's just be. Of just weird, strange experience to watch the NFL draft. And I say that I'm going to watch every single freaking minute of this coverage. Oh, it's going to be, because it's, oh, it's going to be so good. The ratings on this is going to be unbelievable. Yeah, it's going to like surpass the Super Bowl. Even though it's probably <laughs> going to be like the worst NFL draft, like for entertainment value in recent memory, but everybody's going to watch this. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right, let's talk about the Browns' latest signing. You mean uh, Mr. Nice... Adrian Claiborne? Yeah, that guy. Um, with the big old thick dreads he has, pulling braids, whatever they are, coming out of the back of his helmet. I know, I can't... It feels like you could kill, kill a man with just his hair. That, that is impressive. I, I, I don't want to know what the comments that our dad's going to make each time that he sees him. Is he, is, he'll make some comment about, like, you would think people would pull on that or, or something stupid <laughs> whenever his hair is coming out of the back of his helmet. Um, so I'm just already mentally preparing myself for, for that comment on repeat each, each and every time he's on the field. I love this Adrian Claiborne signing for a variety of reasons. And it prob I'm probably not saying anything that, no that others haven't already said, but... I mean, it, it's a veteran that has proven to be very productive. He's just consistent. If you look at, like, his PFF rankings over the last handful of years, like, he is consistently a 
contributor. He doesn't have any like huge spikes or lulls in his like sack production. He's just very consistent. So from like a rotational perspective, like such a huge step up from Chad Thomas. Also, he's a veteran. Like he's been around and been in the league. Like this team that wants to take the next step needs some players like that. He won a Super Bowl with the Patriots two years ago. Like these are the type of players you want to be bringing in on short-term deals. And we have all these players that we talked about um, on that are either their deals are coming up. You know, Ogunjobi's coming up. Sheldon Richardson, we have a chance to move on from him if we want to after this year. Um, Vernon is coming up after this year. But we signed Claiborne to a two-year deal, which just gives us a lot more flexibility in next year's offseason whenever we're moving on. Like, he's not a guy that you're going to want to, like, count on necessarily to be, like, an every-down player. But it makes you feel better about your roster and gives you some more flexibility in looking down the line. And so um, for a two-year deal worth $6 million with upside, you know, he could earn another million in there if he, you know, hit some incentives, I think it's an absolute no-brainer. Yeah, I mean, you you love having good depth guys. I'm worried about him being able to stay healthy. Um and I'm worried about there there was one year where he had nine and a half sacks, but he got six in a game um that year with the Falcons. So so those while very impressive to get six sacks in a I'll game. I'll take six sacks in a game. Okay. Um I will too. I'm just not sure how repeatable that is. So um, if you, if you even took him down to, to two sacks that game, um, he, he only would have had five and a half sacks, which I mean, if, if he's a rotational D lineman, he's our, our third, third edge rusher. I, 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 I would take that production all day. I, he's just not going to get as nearly as many opportunities as it took him to get five and a half sacks. So I don't expect him to light up the world. I expect him to be solid. Um, he's affordable, brings a veteran presence. Um, he's, he's seen a lot of locker rooms. So I think, I think that can, can only bring value, um, in this case to, to a team, especially a D line room. That's not real young still, but hasn't seen a lot of success. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good way to put it. I agree with you. Uh, we need a couple more of those Adrian Claiborne type signings, particularly a, a linebacker. I just I feel so uncomfortable with where we're at at linebacker. I feel like we did a good job of getting some short term solutions at safety, and I feel good going in with that position group. You know, if we add one or two young players in the draft, but linebacker, I'm still not comfortable. You know, if we drafted a even if we drafted somebody at 41, I still don't think I would feel great about the way our linebacker room looks right now. So I brought up a name to you before we, before we jumped on this pod. Um, and I don't know, I, this all depends on the money and it's probably not as sexy as it sounds. Um, but if the money's right, I would be interested in bringing in a Clay Matthews. I know that his PFF ranking was terrible last year and he's not the edge rusher that he used to be. Um, there was two, three, four years there where he played in the inside for Green Bay Packers. He's kind of played a bunch of linebacker positions. He is that veteran presence. He's he's a a good locker room guy. I feel like there would be a, a spirit lift coming back to coming back to Cleveland where his dad played forever. Um if it's on a cheap one year deal, maybe a obligatory second year just for the like that's basically no guaranteed money and voidable. Um, I'd be interested to bring him in as a piece that's kind of adaptable and could be a fourth edge rusher and, and, and go from there. I don't know who else we, we really bring in at this point who, who moves the needle that much. I mean, a name that I keep seeing tossed around a bunch is like Nigel Bradham. Um, I think who could play a role definitely um, would make me feel a lot better. I'm just looking at Spotrack to see some names that are still out there. Like now this guy's hasn't played his best football in a couple of years, but Alec Ogletree's out there. Um, Darren Lee. Um, Darren Lee was terrible though in, in New York. Like the, there's just not that many good free agent linebacker names and there's not many in the draft. So going and trying to fix this position is going to be tough. I think you could do a lot worse than 
a guy who you know is at least like a good veteran presence and is kind of adaptable, whether you're going to get high in production or not at any of these positions. I wouldn't count on it, but at least he can fill a number of roles and is a, a heady football player. Yeah. So um, I agree with you. There doesn't seem to be a ton of options, but I think they need to bring somebody else in um, from a veteran standpoint. I, I just don't think they've got enough juice there right now. I mean, you get an injury or two, and you're just, like, really scraping. Yeah, completely agree. What else we got? I think that's it for this week. We're going to be back. Next week, we've got another guest. Are we ready to announce who that is, or are we going to keep that keep that under wraps? Well, it's, uh, it's to be to be announced at a later date. To be announced at a later date. We'll put that on Twitter um, um, before we before we come out. And um, this has been good. Everybody, stay safe. Uh, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Um, we're going to do our best to try to bring you as many of these as we can. Um, I know everybody's got stuck at home and probably um, listening to podcasts or maybe listening to less podcasts because they're not in the car. Um, you never know, but we appreciate listening. Uh, reach out to us anytime on Twitter at Sin of Our Fathers. You can reach us by email at sinofourfathers at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram that Mark manages, so I don't know anything about it. Um, and uh, what else do we say here? Go Browns. Go Browns. Thank you.